With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 12th. This podcast has been very pro-tennis focused over the course of the past few months, and how could it not have been? Of course, it feels like the French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open all happen in this one, three, four-month run where, as a tennis fan, you never really have time to catch your breath. Of course, now we've transitioned into post U.S. Open play, those chase for the championships on the men's and women's side, captivating, uh, providing captivating tennis, I should say, each and every week. That said, I know some of you Crack Rackets fans certainly took the time to tune in to our coverage of the real ceremonial kickoff of the 2022-2023 college tennis season this past weekend. We were so fortunate to be on the call for the 2022 ITA All-American Championships, an event that features so much of the top talent in the college tennis world. And far too frequently, you listeners hear me wax poetically about the college tennis world, why that transition from college to the pros is, in my opinion, certainly a clear pathway for success. And uh, you look at this past weekend, certainly it felt like we saw so many different players who continue to progress in their games. It feels like players who certainly have had some success on the pro tour have brought that success back into the college tennis world. And given the fact that we had that opportunity to broadcast the ITA All-Americans, given the fact that we'll have the chance to broadcast the ITA Fall Nats coming up in a month as well, and perhaps most importantly, given the importance of college tennis to us here at Crack Rackets, it felt like now was the perfect time to perhaps pivot a bit and offer some thoughts on those ITA All-American Championships. If for some reason you didn't have the chance to tune in and you're like, you know what I need to do? Go watch a college tennis replay. Rest assured, we've got the ITA All-American Finals, semifinals, every day of the main draw of the event available for all of you tennis fans on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. But maybe you just want to hear a synopsis of all the action that happened. And that's what we're going to do for you today. We're going to break down the top five storylines from the ITA All-Americans. And if you're going to undertake such an exercise, it certainly helps to have some people here to help you along the way. That's what I've got in the man joining me on today's podcast, a returning champion here to our Crack Racket shows who, quite frankly, we haven't heard from from far too long. And maybe it's because he's the Law & Order SVU to our Law & Order here on the mini break. Uh, You know, he spun off. He does his own thing. He's big time dust. But of course, you know him best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog slash podcast, a co-host of our Great Shot podcast throughout the course of the college tennis season. And my near and dear friend, John Parsons, joins us on the show once again. Jay, Welcome back. It's good to see your face. How are you doing? 
I'm good. We're back from our break. You know, I know our annual break goes from NCAAs in May to All-Americans in October. I wave goodbye. And then you pop back up when you're ready to talk some college tennis. You have some downtime from the pro tennis world. Welcome back to your roots. It's great to have you. You know, I, I've been doing podcasts without you. So it's been uh, it's been good, but things are going well. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to dive in for another season. Well, it's good. It's a little rocket fuel to my fire. I'm afraid you're going to take my corner. Like next I'm going to look and they're going to ask you to do the ITA National Indoors and I'm going to just lose the role justifiably. Uh, by no, the, way. the commentating gig is all yours. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Um, no, I mean, I always appreciate having the chance to chat with you. I definitely feel like, again, I know how much I am ask of you guys throughout the course of the college tennis season. So I try to give you a summer off, but you know, the summer is over. The dead period is done, my friend. It is time to get back into the thick of things. And, you know, again, it's probably still a hair too early to begin our preview of the 2023 dual match season. You're always waiting for that Tony Bresky December surprise from a recruiting standpoint. It feels like some of these rosters look exceptional. Some of these rosters feel incomplete. Yeah. Who is coming back? Who isn't coming back? There are plenty of rumors flying around, but you know, don't want to speculate too much here on today's show. That said, the ITA All-American is really our first peek at, you know, what from the summer is going to translate here into the college tennis season. It felt like this summer, and it helps to have people like you, our dear friend Chris Hallioris, and so many others going out of their way to highlight these things now. Got to give a shout out to Scott Colson, of course, over at Payers and Players. A lot of pro success for college tennis athletes throughout the course of this summer. And, you know, that's one thing, but now you throw your uniform back on. Now you're back into the the no-ad scoring format, and everything changes up a little bit. And so this ITA All-American is really the perfect, you know, chaser to kind of get you back into the thick of things. Let's start big picture before we get into individual storylines. And, of course, as always, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15 for all the latest and greatest equipment being offered in the tennis world. I do want to start more broadly. I appreciate the kind words you offered about our Cracked Rackets broadcast of this ITA All-American event. I want to give you that platform, though, to talk about the broadcasting because no one thinks – in my opinion, more critically, and not critically in the negative connotation, but critically in the sense of you are looking at every aspect of a broadcast. How is this beneficial to college tennis moving forward? It did feel, and it's self-serving for me to say this, of course, I want to be clear. I'm well aware of that fact. We had scores. We had live feeds. Yes, we still need a central men's feed. But that said, it felt like everything was progressing in the right direction this year. I felt like 2022 was a big step forward. And again, self-serving. So I want to offer you the chance. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me the chance to compliment you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I missed you, my friend. (laughs) Um, But yes, just to set the stage, right, in 2021, right, we didn't have live streaming at all for the women. We had no commentary for either the men or the women. And the cameras at Tulsa left much to be desired. And there was no streaming for the final. So coming into this year, I didn't know what to expect right? Particularly since we were at another new venue for the women. Last year, they were in Charleston for a year. Now they were in Cary. So it was a little bit of an unknown. And so I think there were a lot of positives to take away, right? The first was that from a streaming capability standpoint, Tulsa had clearly upgraded. The cameras at Cary are good. 
you know, they're they're fine. Yeah, if it's um, binary, they're a clear one. Exactly. It's like, it's like you and playing tennis, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did miss you. Go on. <laughs> so they're good. They're binary. They're yes, right? So that was a huge improvement. I think the commentary and the coverage by Cracked Rackets was really... Subpar at best. <laughs> was really <laughs> mediocre. No, it was great, right? Because I think in an event like that, it hit the two sides of the coin that you need. I think one, they still offered you the opportunity to watch any individual court that you wanted, right? If you're a fan of a particular player or a school, and maybe you're not able to show that entire match on the live stream, you can watch that individually. You can tap back in uh, with the live stream. The other thing is that uh, the host sites in particular, I thought did a really good job, particularly on the women's side. And I thought that that complemented the commentary significantly. I told you this offline. I felt like watching the women's final in particular, and even some of the social media coverage that the ITA has done during and after the fact, it felt like the most professional representation of women's college tennis that I had seen in years. I think the um, the aura, the vibe around Carrie, obviously having the fans from the North Carolina schools there added kind of that um, degree of, of seriousness and um, importance that is often needed. So overall, I thought that that was, was excellent. I was really pleased with it. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. Carrie was gorgeous. And that's yeah. not to disrespect Tulsa because Tulsa is a fantastic facility to host an event like this. They have the, court, the requisite court space. To your point, again, the cameras were rocking and rolling. To have the multiple camera shots of Carrie during that final, shout out to the ITA for yep. putting in the resources to buying those extra cameras because to your point, it just felt that much more professional of an environment. And it helped to be 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, trees glistening yeah, in the background. Yeah. It literally was – it could not have been set a more beautiful scene. And yeah. The hint told, of the fall foliage coming, it was it's, beautiful. It was, it, it was remarkable. And – I told this to Westoff, our super producer, uh, offline, and you know I'd share this with all any viewer who hasn't taken the time to watch it. Go watch the first just 12 minutes of the ITL American broadcast. I feel better about those first 12 minutes than any broadcast we've ever done at Cracked Rackets because let me just say. I was ready. Like, I just, I had my stats ready to go. Westoff had every camera angle panning and turning and just making sure everyone was properly stimulated while not overdoing it during those first 11 minutes. Then we get into the match and everything's working perfectly. We're ready to flash a two box here because there's other action going on. I'm very proud of yeah. the broadcast that we did. And shout out to Westoff always who just kind of – you say, hey, can we do this? And he's like, yeah, give me like three hours to three days and I'll figure it out. And he always figures it out. And shout out to Mark Bay as well. Uh, obviously, humble brag, doubling up during my role for Tennis Channel last week. And so he was able to cover those first few days. He did so remarkably and was willing to play with our format, jump around a little bit. It was very cool, and I know it's not linear TV. I know it's not ESPN, but I like to think we're headed in the right direction. Self-serving, I know, but it was certainly a step of, 
towards progress. And again, any comments, criticisms, suggestions, things you think we can do better. I know we want to have an interview component moving forward. And with everyone at one site for Fall Nats, it becomes a little bit easier to coordinate that, to bring winners onto our stream for five to ten minutes. I promise that's a wrinkle we're going to try and work on. And we have a month to do it. And if you tell Westoff you have a month, I promise he'll figure it out. Um, But things like that. Those are the little things we will continue to work on as well. And a massive thank you to all the reception we got, uh, to everyone who tuned in. It was a very, very fun week of coverage. That said, enough buttering up of myself. I feel like that was a good way for us to reacquaint ourselves with one another in the first 10 minutes. Back to yeah, people. Yeah, you compliments. Yeah, exactly. We're back, we're back at our strike zone. Um, with that said, let's talk some storylines on the court. And there's pre-qualifying. There's qualifying. There's main draws. There's consolation play. If we wanted to talk about every player who impressed, it would take too long. I'm not going to subject Jay to that. That's a February podcast. That's not an October podcast. That said, I, in the 10 minutes leading up to the pod, said, hey, write down your top five storylines for the ITA All-American. I'll write down my top five. We'll go from there. And yeah, we might miss some things, but guess what? That's what the next three months are for to preview everything we expect to happen. I've got honorable mentions as well. I want to get to at the end, but again, we've got lists of five. I haven't seen yours. You haven't seen mine. For what it's worth, full discretion, I'm wearing a UNC hat today. I couldn't help myself because that is where we are going to start the show. Yes, I want to be a gracious host, obviously, to you, Jay. And we're going to get into your list immediately following this. But it has to be in your top five. It's number one on my list. It would be disingenuous to start our discussion with anything else. Holy f***ing shit is this UNC women's team have peace. Uh, do they just did they have a week? Do they have all of the pieces one would look for in building a national championship team and we don't have to do the history. I think anyone who's listened to our college tennis content knows this. The UNC women have been a staple at the top of women's college tennis for the past decade. The countless national indoor championships, I want to say they're at 5. I might be one off there and they're at either 5 four. of the last 7, right? Yeah, 5 of the last 7. I was on the call for the last 3. Shout out to the 3 peach shirt. Um, cause I feel like I played a role again, back to compliments of me. Um, but of course they don't have the NCAA championship and, you know, as close as they have come as many times as they have been undefeated, there are some people who will just hold that against the program and say, none of it matters until they show me they can do it in May. And obviously that's not an argu- a line of argumentation we tolerate much of here at Cracked Rackets, but I'll tell you what. As good as the 2020 team is, and you know I awarded them a half NCAA championship for that 2020 season because it didn't finish, but I was at the National Indoors. All due respect to the Jada Hart, Alicia Bolton, Abby Forbes freshman year team at UCLA, they were good. UNC was so much better than everyone else in 2020. They run the gauntlet undefeated in 2021 before falling short in the semifinals 4-3. Another tightly contested loss this past year in the semifinals to Texas. And yet, despite all the talent, Jamie Loeb, Haley Carter, Graham Davitella, McKenna Jones, you know, all the teams that they have had, seven up, seven down. This might, And I know we did this with Pepperdine last year, and I literally already feel apprehensive before even saying this out loud, but this is the best seven I've ever seen assembled. 
And I don't say that lightly. Men's or women's side, when I look back at it, just on paper, it's just you have Fiona Crawley, who's lost two dual matches in her career. She ends up as your champion. You know, you've got Carson Tangillic, who was a freshman at five last year. Annika Yarlegato, who played her first full season at six. They're two other semifinalists. You had Abby Forbes into the quarterfinals. Elizabeth Scotty playing pretty good tennis in the consolation as well. Riley Tran, I, I mean, she's just been too successful through her first few seasons to write her off. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're bringing in the number one recruit in the country in Reese Brantmeyer, who has been a staple, who has, who has had so much success at every junior event she's played through every level of her career. I mean, seven up, seven down, Jay. The UN, They're the story, right? They are the story coming out of this week. It's so funny that you mentioned this because on my number one takeaway here was how do I modulate the UNC hype? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Because that's exactly what it is, right? We've, we were in a similar position based on the fall results from Pepperdine last season. I agree with everything you said, right? Looking at these results, I mean, North Carolina's four, five, and six from last season just made the semis of all Americans. <laughs> and, right? and they still have their two and three. Exactly. And they bring in Abby Forbes, you know, <laughs> UCLA is number one. They bring in the number one recruit in the country, Reese Brantmeyer, who we should note has not yet played a college tennis match. So we are still waiting for her debut. So yeah, it's, it's dominant up and down the lineup. I mean, they have a team full of top 25 players that has been proven. You know, I will say it helps that this wasn't carry. Yeah. It helps that there were teams that essentially didn't send players in Stanford, Texas, Pepperdine. So was this maybe the deepest field in all Americans that we've seen? Probably not, but of the people playing, does North Carolina have the best players? Very clearly. Yes. So they've assembled an incredible squad and there's not much more to say other than we just need to see how it translates in the spring. Yeah. Well, Let's go with the individual pieces just quickly. Okay. Fiona Crawley, who I I think if they – again, I could have retired on my position of Fiona Crawley stock from 2021 to now, right? Like I like to think if there's someone who has invested fully if – if there's a venture capital firm behind the Fiona Crawley entity, it would be Alex Gruskin LLC, right? Because like from the start, we, it, you could just see it from the moment she stepped on campus, the pace with which she played, her ability to take every ball a little bit early, a little bit on the rise, spreads the court so extraordinarily well. And for someone who will not overwhelm you with her size it's just you know what she lacks in size I know they say energy not created not destroyed I'm pretty sure she creates kinetic energy she is just a ball of energy out there on court and she looked a little stronger the serve looked a little bit better I mean Tangillig didn't break her you know Collins never broke her in a significant fashion and she just seemed to dig her way out of every deuce point scenario Here's the thing. After making the NCAA semifinals last year, you know, one could argue Crawley's the best player on the roster now. And I think yeah. you can make that argument legitimately. And I think if you play her at number one now, there's no question, can she hold up at that level? The answer is certainly yes for that. We that know that was the question. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. And exactly. Right. And, I mean, you had seen her be so dominant at four, five, and six, her first two years. And then it was, okay, how does her game translate to the best of collegiate tennis, right? She's small in stature. She might be the best 
player in the world pound for pound. But, you know, that's certainly a limitation, doesn't have those weapons. And so when you play against someone like a Collins Pey- or Hamner, exactly. Or I would say like the Peyton Stearns, the Cayetanos sure. with those bigger weapons. Navarro's of the world. Exactly. How does she do? Well, she doesn't have to deal with Navarro and Stearns. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> she had no issues with Cayetano last the previous weekend. So the game style translates and she's the best player in college tennis right now. Do you think Crawley versus Hamner is just the Spider-Man meme come to life where she's like, wait a second. That's my, that's, that's my bit. Like I'm, I'm the relentlessly powerful, energetic player from the baseline. I think the more interesting one is Crawley Ma and they've played twice now and Connie Ma has beaten her twice. So that's a match I want to continue to see. It's so fun too, because they're both so smooth out there yes, on court. They exactly. both make a ton of balls and we yep. both at yeah. So that, that's a very fun, that might be the best rivalry in college tennis right Could now. Be. That might that have usurped Navarro Stearns as the matchup most likely to see, but so there's that. Yep. I think Yara Legata's forehand looked so much better. It just seemed like there were less moving parts to it. And she, you know, again, she loses that match two and four to Collins. I'm going to go, like, if you, if you're Coach Calvis, Coach Thompson, you go back, watch the film. You're saying, Annika, you played the right match. You just had four overheads on deuce points you didn't put away that you needed to. And it's like, all right, we're four points away from beating Kylie Collins. And I'm not sure who's, like, is Yarla Gata going to play or not? Like, so here's the question. I guess any comment on that? And then I have one more for you. No, I, I thought Yarla Gata looks, looked excellent. Yeah. I was really impressed with her level of play. Yeah, and then Tan Gillig, same deal, where it was like, we all saw it. How many times did I say last year at NCAA tournament, Tan Gillig's the one I like moving yep. forward. It's just so easy, so smooth for her. And for Carson to play as well as she did in the main draw and you know get a win over Forbes, get uh, a really nice win over Chloe Beck in three sets as well. Victory over Snow Han in round number one. Han won, what, two Futures titles on the SoCal Pro Circuit this offseason? It's like... So here's my question to you, and then we can move on unless you have any other final thoughts. Over under 12 and a half dual matches played for Elizabeth Scotty this year in singles. Because that's the question, right? It's like, because Scotty's health is always a lingering thing for UNC. And this is the year where, and Scotty's the perfect person who Coach Calvis can sit down and have this conversation with and just be like, hey, you pick your schedule. What weekends do you want to play? You're not playing back-to-back matches. If we have a Friday-Saturday, you're playing one. So pick which one you want. Like, we're not – the only time you're playing back-to-back is ITL uh, National Indoors and NCAA Championships. Other than that, we just don't have to do that this year, right? Like, isn't that the conversation you have? Yeah, I mean, they don't have to do that. They don't have to do that at all. Where that's basically what they did in 2021, where, you know, it was like Davitella, nah, taking the weekend off. Graham, you know, all good. Jones, struggle with some injuries, take a break. So they can do that again this season for sure. I think if we're talking just like the dual season without indoors and NCAAs, I think it's probably under. Yeah, it's, I mean, so what's your biggest concern? I'm just curious. Is it just like straight up, well, now it's May and you're going to be thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, that's the monkey on their back, right? And I think, like, they have not played their best tennis in May. They've played their best tennis in the fall through May 1st. And so I think that's the question. I did think there was a possibility where Abby Forbes is not the Abby Forbes that we've seen in the past, and maybe she doesn't take tennis as seriously. That is clearly not the case. She's 
playing well. She's playing tournaments. I think with some of the grad transfers, we've seen them maybe not take it as seriously. So that was an option. That doesn't seem to be the case. Scotty's health. Hopefully she is healthy. You know, I think the other thing is just Reese Brampire, right? Who we haven't seen. We don't know what her level is. We can suspect what her level is, but we still need to see her uh, actually play and be in the lineup. You know what the sub is? It's Yarlagata indoors, Tran outdoors. Like, I feel like that's the decision that it ultimately comes down to. So, 8.49 p.m. Eastern time. Sorry, even on the West Coast, East time, Eastern time prevails. Wednesday, October 12th, NCAA tournament. What's UNC's lineup? No injuries. Come on. Let's uh, have some fun. We're back. N- no injuries. Okay. Uh, Crawley, Forbes, Brantmeyer. Scotty. Oh my god. Okay. No. I love it. I love Craw- it. Sorry, Crawley. You, you interrupted. Crawley, <laughs> Forbes, Scotty, Tan Gillick. I think those Ooh! are your top three. Those are your top three. Okay. And then Scotty, or Brant Meyer, Scotty, and uh, Yarla Gata. Ooh. <sighs> it's hard. I think Scotty plays top three. I just don't know how you can put her weapons outside of the top three. And on the right days, again, it's it's the can beat anyone, can lose to anyone theory, right? So why not put that player as high as possible? Because on the wrong day, Scotty can spray a little bit. On the right day, she's just going to pop anyone. <sighs> Crawley one, Forbes two, Scotty three, Tangillig four. <sighs> What do I do with Brantmeyer, Yarlagata, Tran? Because that's your that's your five six combo. Yeah, I go Yarlagata indoors six, Brantmeyer five outdoors, Tran six, Brantmeyer five. But I don't feel good about it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean Brantmeyer at five or six is a complete joke. I know, but it's but it's not. It's serious, and yeah. that's a, the position they've put themselves in. And are we going to be more embarrassed about the twenty twenty? to Pepperdine pod or the 2023 UNC pod? I'm not embarrassed about any of my takes. I made the best decision I <laughs> had with the, with the information I had at the time. No, I mean, look, I, this is not atypical for North Carolina, right? Yeah. There is always so much single success here. It truly comes down to what they can do in May. Yeah, well said. All right, that's enough on top storyline number one. And I think that has to be number one because you make three semifinalists, which according to Jay, whose historical research I trust, it's the first time you've had three semifinalists from one team in ITA All-American history. And yes, there were some players missing, but I love the poetry that Crawley beat Hamner, Collins beat Noel, and then it's like, you know, our two finalists from last year, for those who don't know, Hamner was the winner, and it's like that's how it manifests itself this year. You got to go through the past champions to become the champion. With that said, I now open things up to you. Was that on your list, by the way? It was, right? It was on my list. As I said, how do I modulate the UNC hype? Because I like that. It, you know, uh, you need to modulate it. But Fair. When we'll work that's... on that over the course of the next few months since, spoiler alert, I think they're going to be near the top of our preseason rankings. All right. Give me your... Top storyline outside of that. What do you have next on your list, Jay? Well, I didn't make them in order, so I'll just give you one that might not be on yours. And to be honest, I'm a fan of the alliteration here. So I have uh, newcomers on the men's side, no comers on the women's side. So 
that's fascinating because number three on mine, I did rank them. I say the freshman men are that good, comma, the women, question mark. Okay, so uh, listeners decide. Who do you like better? Yeah, Newcomers on the men's <laughs> side, no comers on the women's side. And then you, what was yours? Yeah, mine was the freshman men are that good, comma, the women, question mark. That's uh, almost West, like a haiku. Yeah, <laughs> Westoff, put out a poll. Um, <laughs> all right, make the case. Yeah, I mean, look, the men's field was littered with very successful newcomers, including the champion Ethan Quinn of Georgia. You know, you had other names who, even if you weren't on the top 10 newcomer list, made really deep runs, right? So we saw Jonah Braswell making from pre-qualifying, he's at Florida, all the way to the round of 32. You had Alex Bernard of Ohio State, who's a freshman there. He actually made it the farthest of any freshman in the main draw. And he beat, you know, really good names like Planinsec, Neff, before losing to Garrett Johns in the main draw. And you just had to stop you quickly on those yeah. two. Yeah, they're critical because just your reminder: Florida men lost everyone. No Shelton, no Riffis, no Vale, no Andrade, no Seymour, no Goodsure, probably no Shelby. I mean, like again, this is why Lucas Greif stayed. Let's say that joke for the first time of a thousand times here this year. This is his moment, and it's like, are they going to finish top twenty? Top like. Top 25, I really like their freshman in doubles, which you may get to in a moment, not to cut you off there, but like Braswell, brother of Micah Braswell, yes, you're correct, having success early is so critical because yeah. he's going to be probably top three. And then to your point on the other side, and we'll get into Ethan Quinn, I'm sure, in a second, but it's just like, again, these freshmen are going to be counted on right away and to see him in particular, who is the second one? I'm blanking here. There are a lot of names going through my head that you've mentioned thus far. Oh, I already mentioned Alex Bernard. Bernard's the other one. Thank you. Because it's like no more uh, Votzel, no more Van Emberg. And yet the, you know, the core is still there for Ohio state. They need Anthrop and Bernard to click. You hear some things about where Bernard thinks he'll be playing, not thinks he'll be playing, but some things about will Bernard be top three or not here this year. It's like, well, if he is, now we found our votes to replacement, and now Ohio State can pick up where they left off. So I think those two in particular, Braswell and Bernard, very notable. Carry on. Yeah. No, and I think it's good to double-click on the Florida of it all, right, because mm-hmm. they did lose everybody, and this is – you're feeling really good if you're a Florida fan. Look, Florida is not going to win a national championship this year. It is going to be a rebuilding year. But it looks like they have some really good pieces that are slotting in. And Jonah Braswell – did not have exactly the most stellar junior results over the last year. I would say he was sort of struggling relative to some of these other newcomers who were coming in. For him to make this sort of impact is a testament to being on campus, playing with Florida, training there, and going deep, right? So there's clearly potential both with him and the two freshmen who made a deep run in doubles. Also very impressive. Yeah, I know. Well said. I I just think, you know, again, Narundorn's going to have to click right away. Uh, Tokach has power. I like the prospect of his frame as a singles player in the top two at some point in his career. And again, Narundorn's just going to be a four or five. He's the heir apparent to Z Clark, Kyle Seelig, all those people. It's like, all right, I found my next one. Good. Um, and yes, I'm profiling short people. I apologize. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, do we want to do the Quinn thing now? Are you ready for it? Sure. All right. I, 
was in the midst of broadcasting, and I thought I brought up a nice little tangent, a nice little thought bubble for all of our fans tuning in. Is Ethan Quinn the guy this year? Well, coming out of the ITA All-American in a summer where he captured two Futures titles in singles, seeing how big he looked on the court. And I know that's an arbitrary, non-quantifiable thing, but he just has the size, the speed, the physicality you're not supposed to have at 18 years old. The serve, the forehand are so fluid. I've said on the broadcast and before, I think there's a little jack sock to his game and just how assertive he is with himself, clearly blessed with one of those shoulders. But he has a backhand. And it's just like, you know, 18 years old, shaved head. We can work on that moving forward. That's just a little detail. That's why you go to college. Um, but I have no questions about his tennis. Like, I think this might be the guy. Yeah, I mean, I commented in the chat. Yeah, well, which <laughs> said, is why, by the way, I brought that up because yeah. you seem to feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no other argument for anyone else right now. I think it is very clear that Ethan Quinn is the best player playing college tennis right now. I add in that caveat because we often see the best players in college tennis not playing in the fall, right? And so I don't know how to comp him against someone like Gab Diallo, who is breaking into the ATP top 300, right? Who is having success on the Challenger Challenge. Yeah, exactly. You know, Arthur Ferry of Stanford, who is having success at the 25K level, you know, Monday. Like, these sort of guys weren't in the tournament, so it's really tough to calibrate. But, I mean, you just have to watch that final against his teammate, Phil Henning of Georgia. It was different levels, right? And it was the ability... I'm going to disagree with you. Sorry to cut you off. The real one was the Spaziri match. It's just like Spaziri can only hit one-handed backhands, and yet somehow he gets through that because he's so quick, such a great competitor, can do all these different things. And yet Ethan Quinn was good enough to be like, no, 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 no. If you can't hit a backhand return, you're just not good enough to beat me. And like no one does that to Spaziri, and Ethan did. Right. Well, somewhat shockingly, which is sort of one of my other takeaways, was that – no one was doing that to Spaziri or more <laughs> more so that Spaziri was able to counter that, right? But for Quinn to do that, and look, I mean, he dropped one set in his six matches, right? So it wasn't just like he wins the title. He more or less ran away with it. So of the guys playing college tennis, he's the guy. And it's really hard to knock someone off who wins All-Americans because he's going to play one for Georgia. He's going to have a very strong dual record. Even any of those guys that I mentioned who come back in the spring, if you're only here for a semester, hard to build your guy resume. Yeah, fair. I think Dostinick, Kingsley, Monday, whoever plays one for Kentucky, if everyone comes back to Kentucky, that's yeah. what we call a tease. Um, I think there are people who are still eligible to become the guy. I think Ethan Quinn is it right now. I agree from a tennis standpoint. And by the way, after losing in the round of 32 to Florida State, Boy, was that the shot of adrenaline Georgia needed. You were just extended. Lifeline's too hyperbolic to say, but it's just like, all right, welcome back, Georgia Tennis. Like, now you've got a guy. You've got Mickelson in the pipelines as well. All these different Southern Southern California tennis buying into the program Manny Diaz, Jamie Hunt are building, and it's just like – See, we can coax a freshman into immediate success. You just got to trust us and the program we've built here, and – they needed it. 
Like, yeah. it's been not, by Georgia standards, it's been a bad three-year run. And this is just, again, I think an adrenaline shot. Yeah, so two things I want to say to that. The first on the Georgia piece, there is zero chance that they are not bringing other people in in January, right? Yeah, I know. I like, Because the roster's like six guys, seven guys. It is so thin. And if yeah. you have Ethan Quinn at number one, like, I'm looking at Jamie Hunt and saying like, where, where is everybody else? Because that's super thin compared to the relative sec rosters would not shock me. If Alex Michelson comes in early, that feels like an easy hanging fruit. Exactly. Like, Hey, look, this worked for Ethan, but we're just not going to redshirt you this year. Come on in. Fascinated by the sec right now. Sorry to cut you off, but it's like, I don't know what Florida's lineup is. Tennessee has 7 million pieces. And yet like, I mean, I don't, I'm supposed to talk to Monday on the Cracked Interviews podcast soon, so I don't want him to get mad with me for proposing this because I'm going to ask him directly. And I always say if I'm going to talk about someone, better have the gumption to say this to their face. So, Johannes, if someone sends this to you, I will ask you this question when we eventually lock in our Cracked Interviews date. We have played the ultimate game of interview phone tag, uh, let me tell you. And it's my fault. That it's not his fault. He keeps winning. That's why we have to keep delaying. But it's like – are we sure he's coming back? Because, and I don't mean to get into people's business. Where is Tennessee getting all this money? Like, I just, how, how, how do you bring back Monday, Mitsui, Kozlov, Hunter, Harper, Diaz, you know, all, all these different pieces. And it's yeah. just like, it kind of makes a little more sense if Monday's also not coming back. And with all the pro success that he's had, I'm not saying... He shouldn't come back. I'm saying there's a foundation there. If he wants to go explore pro tennis now, it's not an unjustified decision for him to ever make or make in particular now, but it's like, I don't really know what that's going to look like. Are we sure Draxel and Diallo are both coming back for Kentucky? I think so, but I'm not positive. Uh, I don't know about Rodriguez in South Carolina, and if he comes back, South Carolina's top 10. If he doesn't come back, it's still I don't think he's coming back. Your words, not mine. I'm, okay. It's unclear to me. I'm not ready to report anything. So, okay. I, you know, again, I, even though I just speculated on Monday, um, I would lean your direction as well. Um, I just like Tennessee's probably the favorite. But Georgia, to your point, there's a couple missing pieces, but like there's a rubric of things there. And if Trent Bride has a bounce back, Quinn, Henning, Bride, Kreuter, like that's a good core to start building around. SEC's open. After, like, the past three years, it's been like, all right, Florida is really good, and there's going to be at least one other really good SEC team, A&M, whomever it may be. By the way, A&M's the one lingering in the SEC. There's an opening for a team that deep, that experienced to make a run. I'm, the SEC is fascinating to me. Yeah, I have no idea how Tennessee has the money, right? They lost <laughs> one they lost one person, they bring yeah. in four transfers and they get Bicknell eligible. Oh, and so, Blaze. Right. That's the so, other one. Like I have no idea where the where they are funding all of these people. I the only thing on Monday is it does feel a little unusual that he's not in the states. It feels unusual that he's playing these fall tournaments elsewhere. I feel like we'll see the US, we'll see Mexico, but to be, you know, is a little bit more rare, particularly not even in his home country. He's off in Sweden. And for the so, record, Tennessee, even without Monday, is probably still the SEC favorite because Mitsui's I made totally a I totally disagree with that. Oh, really? Yeah, even with, with Monday, I think Kentucky is the favorite. 
Oh, I forgot. Well, Kentucky, everyone coming back is the favorite. There it is. That's the difference is I guess my operating assumption is neither Monday nor Diallo comes back. So there's my speculation <laughs> for all of you. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a very good point. Um, but with Monday, I mean, come on now. Like Monday, yeah. Mitsui, Bicknell, Hunter. I don't care what HUD. you do with five and six. HUD, Diaz, Cos. Like again, all these options. And you miss a spiritual leader in Adam Walton. But like that's a really good team. And yes, again, not to get in the business, four and a half scholarships. It's like bravo to the mathematicians at Tennessee. I'm not implying anything illicit. I'm just saying that is good math by them. Yeah. Well done. Um, anyways. Yeah. Back to the freshmen. <laughs> Carry on, my friend. Well, I think we've, we've talked about a good amount of the freshmen here. We're Ozan, not gonna be able- Nishesh, Ozan, Consolation. Yeah, exactly. great. We're not going to be able to get into everyone. I was going to segue into my next takeaway well, when you were well, talking. Can you do the women real quick? Because we kind of ignored that oh, and the well, lack of freshmen on that side. Because And we didn't yeah. have Schneiderbauer, Schneider from NC State. She didn't play the event. Yeah, I just, come on. She Schneiderbauer is more exciting than Schneider. So yeah. she will be Schneiderbauer this year to me. Um, yeah, I could put some numbers on yeah, the women's. If you don't mind. So, yeah, so there were no true freshmen in the main draw. Mm-hmm. And they... Nine of the 10 newcomers in the ITA newcomers list did not play the event. The only one who did was uh, Gonzalez of Oklahoma State, and she she did not advance to the main draw. So there was a big difference between the success we saw on the men's side for the newcomers and on the women's side, right? But that does mean like you didn't have a Maddie Sig who has had an excellent fall. She did not play the event, right? We didn't see Reese Brantmeyer. We didn't see Alexis Blockina of Stanford. Mm-hmm. A whole host of names who we expect to be factors come honestly later this fall but definitely the spring season that didn't play the event that's very well said um all right with that in mind next storyline so for me this was going to be kind of tangential to the elliot spaziri storyline that we talked about we're going to overlap way too much because i have a go on oh mine was going to be and this kind of sums up some of the conversation was that a lot of the blue blood men's programs are back Oh, and <laughs> yep. Okay, carry on. And what I mean by that is Georgia, Texas, Stanford. These successful programs of the past few decades had success at this tournament in ways that the more recent team champions, Virginia, Tennessee, and not with champions, but like people who made a deep Baylor did not have success. And so you feel really good if you are Texas with Elliot Spaziri. Seam Waldy resurgence, Micah Braswell, that's a check in the box. You feel really good about that. Georgia, we've already talked about Ethan Quinn, Phil Henning making the final. You could not have asked for a better tournament. And then lastly, Stanford, right? A lot of questions about Stanford. I still have questions about Stanford, but Bassa Veretti winning the back draw, big accomplishment for a freshman. And you feel, and Max Basing, of course, making the semifinals. So, those are all programs that have been relevant for decades and uh, are looking really strong to start the fall. Well, my number two storyline was the Texas men write the ship. And mm-hmm. if you play the 2022 season a hundred times, Texas is winning the national championship more than once because there's a scenario where everyone doesn't get injured, where I don't know, they have three quarters of the roster for two months, let alone the three days it felt like they had them throughout the course of the 2022 season. And Braswell, Waldeep, 
Spaziri, you know, all quarter finalists, uh, excuse me, all round of 16 or further. You know, you bring back Harper, who with Spaziri makes the semifinals in dubs. Maybe most, most impressively of that group is Pierre Bailey, who when if and when he comes back, you're just like, that's another piece we feel pretty good about coming off of last season. The amount of times with my little brother I talk about if Michigan and Texas played that match 10 times, how many times does Michigan win it? Like how many times does Fenty come back in a third set to clinch over Bailey in what was just an exceptional match of tennis? And shout out to Spaziri for beating Styler again. That's a really nice win for Elliott yeah. and honestly a good result for Styler uh, to start his season, or at least not a bad result. Um, but this was always the window. This was always the year, and now that window's been extended because of the extra year of COVID eligibility, but it's just like Spaziri, Waldeep, Harper are all fourth years. Like, this is what they've been building towards, and Elliot, uh, Elliot, Ethan Quinn might be the guy, but from a spiritual standpoint, Elliot Spaziri's the guy. You ask every – I've had this conversation with multiple coaches. How many players on your roster would you trade for Elliot Spaziri? More than you would think, say all of them. Just like, I'll take Elliot. We'll figure out the rest later. Because the guy can't hit backhands. And it's just like, he has proven he's a top five competitor in men's college tennis at the worst. And I just think they're like, I think this is the year. I think this is the window where it's just like, this group, now's your time to make a push. Because they're not intimidated by anyone. They've been to the NCAA semifinals. They beat Florida first round last year of the national indoors. It just feels like this team is ready to win some sort of national something. And to see that result, that's the big one to me. It's like as good as Virginia is, I love their six. I love their five. However, you know, who replaces Gianni? That's the question. But like Vonder Schulenberg, Montez, Rodesh, Getz, Botzer, Spaziri, Waldeeb, Bailey, Harper, Braswell. It's a legitimate debate which five you'd rather have. And with all due respect to Virginia, yes, they're the defending national champions. Yes, they're the preseason number one. No one has done enough this offseason to surpass them. But they're not the only tier one team this year. I feel as good about the Texas Longhorns going into the season as I do about Virginia now. And I'm wondering if I'm crazy or not. Yeah, I heard this take from you earlier, and I think it's a little crazy. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> uh, but that was before All-Americans, so you definitely earned uh, some credit with this showing here. Look, there's a lot of questions about this Texas team, right? I, you know, flashback to just a little over a year ago, and Elliot Spaziri was winning a 25K. He was winning in the U.S. Open qualifying round. He, what he is doing is incredibly impressive, I really hope we start to see him be able to hit two-handed backhands soon because he's a phenomenal player. CM Waldeeb is a big question mark. He played excellent tennis at All-Americans. I have no idea if he would play excellent tennis today, right? I don't really trust the bottom of Texas's lineup right now, 5-6. Pierre Bailey's been out for a while with an injury, right? Just started coming back. So there's a lot more questions for me about the Texas lineup. The upside has never been in question, but the ability to realize that upside, I think they come in with a chip on their shoulder, right? I think last year was a disaster year for them after what in many ways was a Cinderella run in 2021. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to see, but I think just seeing Waldeep take things seriously, see him play well, 
that alone, I think you can take heart in. Well, what's amazing is we've seen the outer bounds of this Texas program. We've seen their lowest, which was yeah. last year. And mm-hmm. if that's the if that's the floor, it's a good place to start. We've seen the ceiling, 2021, to your point. I feel like they can push that ceiling higher with this group. I feel like this group yeah. has now had some time to gel, to yeah. prepare. And so this feels like a year. This is and, the window. And, okay, so you lose CMR and you don't bring anyone in. That doesn't feel very Bruce Burke to me. Yeah, that's another good. Let's right? keep an eye keep on Keep in it. mind, like, Pierre Bailey came in in January. A yeah. vi- like, we did not hear about that until very late in the game. There's going to be a late fall surprise. It's yeah. coming for one of these rosters, and so we'll keep our eye out for it. All right. I'm going to keep you – let's stay on your list because we've had three overlaps now. So I'm like – I'm looking at my list. I'm like I only got two – I got a bunch of honorable mention. I really only have two significant ones left. Some of them we've alluded to. So I go next to you. We're, what, three into your list? Because I think we've overlapped on all three, right? I think we've overlapped on all three. That's amazing. Here is is one. Uh, Antoine Chauvinck of Florida State making his debut. I feel like you maybe had him as honorable mention. But I think there's a case to be made for him – coming out of this tournament feeling like the second best player, right? He was the newcomer, number one newcomer last season, was ineligible for Florida State, did not play much tennis in that year in terms of pro tournaments. So someone who used to have an ATP ranking of 400 comes in, knocks off Cannon Kingsley, who has the absolute worst draw luck in the world. It's and- like, does he look up at the tennis guys just like, what the f***? Like, I go – again, you've heard this story too many times. He's like, I am in the workout room on off days. Like, I do everything you ask of me, tennis gods. What do I have to do to draw – say this lovingly – Tulsa round one? Like, just please, or can I just get, like, Tulsa, then, like, I don't know, the top-ranked guy at Purdue in round <laughs> two, and then just, like, then we can start the tournament? Yeah. It's rough, right? I mean, Blumberg and is round one, Riffis and Stabile round one. I just, it's just and so sad. And now it's like, it's like essentially a random name because we have not seen this person play. And it's like, oh, well, actually, he might be one of the best players in college tennis. This not season. might. He is. He is. And he had the pro credentials coming in to be a top player, had to sit out last season. But yeah. he was on the top 10 newcomers last year. He, he was just, number one. Yeah, he just wasn't able to play. Yeah, but he also hasn't played. Like, you can't play college tennis. He wasn't really playing, period. So I had no idea what to expect, right? Fair. But he was the only person to take a set off Ethan Quinn. So for me, if you're looking for storylines here, one of them very well could be that, you know, top 10 player is uh, is Showbunk of Florida State. He was in honorable mention for me and just keep an eye on Florida State coming off of a yeah. round of 16 last year. They're one to watch in the ACC, especially in ACC where it's like, and this is a tangent. Do you have any thoughts on Wake Forest right now? I got nothing. And I'm like, I know they're going to be fine, but I have no, like, I don't know what the roster is. Like, again, it's, this is what happens when you have, and this is an unofficial stat, but 35 people on your team. It's like, I don't know exactly who's coming back, who's going to be there. Like, I like some pieces, but are they actually pieces? Right. And like a turnover rate of 35%. Well, you know, so uh, it's, it's hard to keep track. I mean, that's the sort of thing. It's like, I'll look at the Wake Forest roster when I need to, and then I'll determine whether or not how, how good I think they're going to be. Exactly. But the reason I bring them up, it's like, you know, again, NC state's going to be better this year. Mm -hmm. North Carolina, Segerman, not Segerman, Segerman uh, looks, you know, that's a good piece. They bring in some good pieces from Princeton. 
But like outside of Virginia, there's it's not 2017 or 20 where you're like UNC, no. Wake Forest, Virginia are all top five teams, and then it's everyone else is competing for scraps. That's not yeah. the case this year in the ACC. So that's another conference that you keep an eye on. And yes, that was one of my honorable mentions. Uh, I'm gonna move over to mine because I got two left for you. The transfers, I thought they looked pretty good as we look at we you know this opening week. Of the season on the women's side, we've already alluded to it, but Abby Forbes, hand in a glove, coming over to UNC. Obviously, Kylie Collins for her and Taylor Fogelman's first week on the job to be the first ITA All-American final in program history. You file that under things you like to see. I mean, we didn't see a ton of the – Alexa Noel, I thought, looked pretty good on her way to the quarterfinals in Miami. It's like, oh, yeah, we have Alexa Noel now back in the mix I like I love the Mora family. They've been very kind to me. Seeing Cam in a Duke uniform, I'm not ready for that. I need another month. I just I wasn't mentally prepared after being on T2, not that much sleep. I wake up and I'm like, is that? Oh yeah, she transferred. Like I forgot about that. So that's something you put uh I suppose a little little note next to, but uh, the women's transfers looked pretty solid. I don't know how many of the men's transfers competed this week, but like again, I think for them it's more the it's the depth on the men's side that'll define the transferring more than anything else than top names. But like I thought it was a pretty good week for the transfers. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. You kind of went through all the women's names there. I mean, you mentioned Segerman, right? He was probably the standout transfer who probably made the deepest run, right? You didn't have any of Kentucky there. Oh uh, no, yeah, yeah, you did. He made the quarters. Oh, yeah, he lost was a, great. Yeah, uh, that's another Bamba. really good name. Shout out to you. Yeah, but he lost to uh, Luke Famba yeah. there. By the way, exciting matchup with him and uh, Ben Shelton yeah. in the uh, Challenger in Fairfield. Uh, Tialo and Shelton. Yeah, overall, I think the transfers looked good. A good result from Kylie Collins to make the final. Really good uh, for that program, right, to start making inroads there. Um, yeah. At what point does it come up, become unkosher to mention Kylie Collins played on the back-to-back national championship teams? At Texas, and just to focus on the LSU stuff, is it ever? Because I like felt weird. I was like, do I bring up that she was really good on the Texas Longhorns? Because she's not a Longhorn anymore. But it's like, no, I, I think still feels I think kosher. We, yeah, I think we've moved. You know, we're normalizing transferring, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've <laughs> uh, we've c- come into that era. So I think it's very common. And honestly, it's a really unusual thing that she did. And it's worth bringing up, right? That she transferred after winning two team titles to a school that didn't make the NCAA. T- uh, tournament last season yeah I, I think that's a very good point um I have how many more storylines do you have do we have one left each kind yeah, of I have like one and a half you know yeah we can all right go on. We'll get, let's go to your final one and then we'll get to the half and honorable mentions so I got one left left as well give me your final big storyline from the all-american uh I'll go with this one. I think uh, on the heels of Kylie Collins kind of making program history there, I think shout out to the South Carolina program. They won the men's doubles title here. And I think you're starting to see them uh, have a lot of success on the individual front, which should be got success on the team front, right? You had Paul Jubb in 2019 win the NCAA singles title. You had Danny Rodriguez uh, make the finals in 2021, Sarah Hamner win the All-American title, and now you have Toby Samuel and Connor Thompson win the men's double title, doubles title. So that was a, a nice – it's been a nice through line for them on the individual side. 
It was in my honorable mention, Josh Goffey, Toby Samuel, the success of that South Carolina men's program. Samuel won a Futures event this summer as well, and it's great to see that carry over. Yes, to your point, Ackley had a great tournament. Hamner was solid as well. This bleeds into my final storyline, which is just some 2022 results carry over. Like It's yes. just like South Carolina was really good last season. That carries over into this year. And again, the next big job that opens up, and I'm not, not that South Carolina is not a big job, and not to disrespect Coach Goffey, and I know I've been on this beat now for a while. He's going to coach the next blue blood that opens. Like, it's just, that's who you text first if you're an AD. You call and you say, is Josh Goffey available? Will you willing to come to my school? Because I would want him. I just would be like, the individual success to your point. There, It's going to click on the team note. It already yep. has to some extent. And yeah. it's like, that's the guy I want for the next 10 years. Because uh, all due respect again to South Carolina, I think there are better programs. Uh, sorry coach you know i love you i hope he finds the compliment in that and doesn't listen to that last line it's like <laughs> what did you just say about my program because obviously what coach goffey has built south carolina now has turned into a very very strong school um again some of the other carryover unc still rocking and rolling i thought auburn within sorry and arsenal that's a really nice run for them ratliff contos it's a really nice run for ohio state to start as well i thought um, for Baylor to get Bass and Mizuchi into a consolation final. That was a big deal. Good bounce back from J.J. Tracy after uh, his first-round loss. Now Miller, I now, would add. That's another very good one. The system, it just works. Yeah. Like, it, welcome back. We It's been a couple months since we've said it, but NC State, turns out they know what they're doing in doubles. And yeah. talk about another program, win after win, elevation after elevation. I will say, biggest disappointment of the tournament, Simon, where's the tracksuit? It's Championship Sunday. I need bright red out of you. Like, come on, Simon. Do it for the fans. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right to mention NC State. Now I'm kind of into the honorable mentions here. Oklahoma, question mark? Like, I mean, was last year – sorry. I'm just like – you know what? It's been a few months since Coach Cohen has texted me, so I'm trying to bait her here. Um, yeah. Um, I was gonna, but I didn't even know if you were talking about Oklahoma men or Oklahoma women. I mean, there was like – sure. No sign of Oklahoma life. Yeah, I mean, the Corleys were the top seed in doubles. They bounced back in the Constellation after their first-round loss, but that was a little bit disappointing. I think Emma Staker came through pre-qualifying, but did she get knocked she out did. of qualifying? I think she yeah, did. Yeah, she lost him. She actually, it was a good loss. She lost to Mary Stoyana of That's Texas what it A&M, was. Yeah. who was playing excellent tennis. She deserves a shout-out. Yeah, quarterfinalist. Uh, I thought A&M, it was a pretty, between her, Brandstein, and JC Goldsmith had a good tournament as well. It's like A&M... You know my theory. If you play the 2022 NCAA tournament 100 times, A&M's ending with a national title. Like, if Makarova doesn't roll her ankle, who knows how that match ends. And so, not to disrespect, but Oklahoma, yeah, there we go. Um, I missed you. Uh, Full circle here. Again, in this spirit of carryover, anything you'd add? Uh. Well, I would say two two players where it didn't carry over sure. would be uh, Stefan Dostinich and Murphy Casson. Uh, I think it was disappointing. Like to me, coming into the men's tournament, those were my trio of favorites: Dostinich, Quinn, and Casson. So it was disappointing that Murphy had to retire with, I believe, a back injury. And I will say, Dostinich has not looked like the number one player in the country, both at the event in Athens and also now in Tulsa. So he had a great summer, but that hasn't carried over into into the fall play. Yeah, I, it's not an unfair criticism. That said, I went to USC's practice. Mm, mm, that's a mm, 
That's that would be my response. Is they're a little thin, but they're everyone's good, and they, I'm expecting a big bounce back year because if you play that round of 16 match against Ohio State on a neutral site, there's honestly a chance USC upsets the Buckeyes uh, in that round from last year. That said, I've made it a point. I'm making it a point this season to stop saying we in reference to the University of Michigan. It's just time for me to grow up. I'm in my late 20s now officially at 27 years old. So it's time. It's the end of an era. I mean, again, everyone knows where I went to school. Like, that's never going to change, folks. That said, knowing Aunt Ronnie the way I do, Ronnie Bernstein, head coach of the University of Michigan Wolverines, who, yeah, I just have to call her Aunt Ronnie because – Literally every single one of my aunts. I'm just like, you, Ronnie could fit in. If she came to a Gruskin, you know, Yom Kippur break the fast meal, it would be as though we didn't. It'd be like, oh, yeah, it's Aunt Ronnie. Like, everyone say hello. Um, after what was, and by the way, Ronnie Reese, shout out, one of the greats. Didn't That was something I learned this summer. Um, for someone with her caliber of doubles success, to have an under 500 record in doubles this last year, just for Brown and Miller to make the final, I mean, I hope I get this text. Someone please send this clip to her where she was just like, thank f-ing God. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, was it a disaster last year? And it's like, all right, I do know what I'm doing. And right. so honorable mention, Ronnie Rice Bernstein. Um, that's not – it's just Ronnie Bernstein now. But, again, I got to inform you all what I've learned this summer. Uh, one of the low-key winners because she's just got to be feeling better now. Yeah. Uh, and they, they looked great. Rick came through through qualifying. Mm-hmm. Where Jaded were the Michigan? Looked awesome. Yes, she had a great, great tournament. Where were the Michigan men, and where is Patrick Maloney? So I've gotten this question a couple of times. And I had to ask it. Nothing makes me happier because someone DM'd me, someone very kind, saying, "Hey, like, is Maloney gone? Like, I don't think he's coming back." And I wanted to be like, "Yo, chill, bro. Like, come <laughs> on, like." He's coming back. So to answer your question, he's been in Italy, in Spain, grinding away in futures. He's trying to go pro after he's done with this season. And so he's taken this fall off to go play pro events. That said, I can report with 100,000% certainty. And Pat, if you f*** me here and you end up going pro, I'm putting the Alex Gruskin 1,000% certainty stamp on this. He's coming back this year. Um, and he just has been playing pros. And so no fear, no worries. And as an as a nonpartisan observer, let me just say, I love Michigan 7 this year. And my little brother and I end every conversation. It's now a running gig between us until January 1st. What is Michigan starting 6? And the same thing we talked about for Scotty, it's over under 12.5 for Fenty because I will be shocked if he plays a match against Purdue, if he plays a match against any of the lower tier teams, you know, not indoors, not NCAAs, it's like, no, we're going to play Cooksey today. Or like, no, we're going to play Aaron Schneider today. Like, or, you know what, we're going to move Svensson up in the lineup so he gets a few more reps. It's just like, we've got seven or eight. Like, I, this is the deepest team in my experience watching Michigan tennis. Yeah. See, we've no. gone full circle. We brought it back to Michigan. <laughs> Agree. It always, it always comes back. Yeah, I mean, they look they look on paper excellent. Are you taking the over under 12 and a half for Fenty? I'll go Excluding over. Excluding NCAAs and stuff. I'll go over. And it's your final hurrah. Let's yeah. let's put it all out there. But then who do you pull? Like, okay, fine. 
over under 25 for Fenty Styler combined? Mm, under. Yeah, that's probably the better ask, right? Because yeah. it's like, you know what? You yeah. sat yeah last time. You're going to sit this time, and we're going to yep. roll with Nino. It's like Nino's really good, man, and I don't know where he's going to play. Bickersteth has had a great yeah. summer again, and it's yep. like I love Bick. I don't know he's going to be satisfied playing four or five. He'll want some shots at the top of the lineup, justifiably so. And like, and I say that in a productive way, by the way. He wants to test his game. It's like there's a lot for us to discuss. It's going to be a fun top 10 preseason show and a fun, of course, run up to this 2023 season. With that said, opening hour of our 2022-2023 college tennis content here at Crack Rackets. Feel pretty good about it, Jay. I'm not going to lie. I feel like we still got it. And so with that in mind, I leave you with the final word. Let us know what you've got going on over at No Ad, No Problem, and any final thoughts on the All-American? Yeah, I mean, no final thoughts on the All-American. I think we've covered that. I'm really looking forward to fall Nats. Hopefully we get it, still get a really good field there. Uh, yeah, Twitter, J Tweets Tennis, Instagram, started on Instagram, no ad, no problem. Also started the podcast as alluded to at the top. Also no ad, no problem. You know, just a just a pod to chat outside of Gruskin, you know, <laughs> just to share my thoughts uh, without Gruskin. So, yeah, uh, follow that uh, and connect on all of those platforms. The term unburdened or unencumbered by Gruskin probably applies best. Uh, yeah, un- untethered. Unt- <laughs> is Ethan going to be the permanent co-host? That is not a conversation we've had, but I've loved having him. I've uh, really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I think so, I don't listen. I do. Yeah, there's no-, no way you have listened. But- no, did I listen to the newest one? No. Have I listened to a full episode? Also no. Have I listened <laughs> to an episode? Yes. I'm not an asshole. So, yeah, the Ethan in question is Ethan Moskowski, former member of the Virginia men's tennis team. It's been awesome to have him uh, share his thoughts. And, um, yeah, so. Let me ask you this. Yeah. You have the choice. Go solo or invite me on as a guest. What do you pick? This is my formal invite for you to be on the podcast. Really? You know, some scholars have argued I'm a great guest, but go on. Well, one, I want to flip the script. But two, I actually want to have you on. I want to ask you some questions I don't think you've been asked before. And I think there is a lot of people who, I mean, anyone who listens to your podcast gets to know you through osmosis, but I think there are a lot of unanswered questions and um, I want to get the answers to them. When are we booking this? Uh, now I'm fascinated. Now you, <laughs> yeah, you can see the smile. Well, on my face. You know, I, I, I want to prep. I have okay, to prep. Sure. I already have a doc going, as you know. Do I need uh, <laughs> Do I need to text you my parents' numbers? Is this going to be a Sean Evans hot one things? Where you're no, gonna be see, like, I, no, that's not my style. I'm, okay. you, I know you are asking all these other people for dirt. <laughs> that's not me. Uh, I just have like legitimate questions okay. uh, that I think are actually going to be interesting for people to listen to. As long as they're not about my forehand, I'm in. Um, yeah. No, but I, but I will recommend people watch the YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Watch until 2-1. 15.30, I hit this unbelievable backhand cross-court return winner. CeCe Bella says I'm on fire. You can stop the clip right there. Um, yeah, anyways, with that said, I appreciate it. I look forward to it. I will be listening to the latest edition. I need to get Ethan on the show. That's the real thing. We need to— Just uh, steal my guess, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You know, 
So it's, it's you know what? If you're listening to minute 67 of this show, you deserve this little juice. I was the first person to bring on the Nick McCarvels, Blair Henleys of the world, onto the show. And to see others just routinely rob my guests from the show. And, and like, again, there's only so many of us. So I get that why they constantly be asked. But yeah, you know, you faded as a show when you're getting your guests steal, Jay. So yeah, I might have to take them. <laughs> I mean, I'm worried. Can we do a little speculation? We talked about Diallo Monday. I'm a little worried Matt might retire on us. Yeah, I mean, the M stands for MIA. <laughs> That's where we're ending the show. That's really good. <laughs> uh, all right, with all that said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out as well to our friends at TennisPoint, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Just for the record, if you liked today's podcast every week throughout the course of the college tennis season, the deciding point, myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris, MIA Stokowiak, we're going to be covering all the men's and women's action probably Tuesdays and Thursdays. We'll figure that out as we get closer to the season. Typically, they're going to be on the Great Shot podcast feed as well as our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Unfortunately, I'm a little lazy right now. So this is acting as today's mini break as well because I didn't want to have to record a third podcast here today. With that said, for the truly fantastic John Parsons, who it's just great to have you back on the show, my friend, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend. 